0: Turn in your Bibles if you would. John chapter 21. John chapter 21, we're going to begin reading at verse number 15. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. Jesus said to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. This time Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Jesus said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And this time Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And Peter said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. And Jesus continued and said, most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke signifying by what death Peter would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, Jesus said to Peter, follow me. Now, as you probably know, the New Testament was originally written in the Greek language. And interestingly, in in the Greek language, there are different words for the English word of love. But since in English we only have one word for love, we assume that the context it is used, that people will understand the varying degree of the love that we possess. For example, if I say my wife loves me, and she loves shoes, and she loves pizza, the hope is that you would understand that Starla loves me more than the other two. Well, but wait a minute. She, she, she really loves pizza. And she really, really loves shoes. That's a bad example. I, I, I should have rethought. I should have rethought that. And, and so just throw that example out. That, that doesn't explain it well at all. But in the Greek language, there are four different words for the English word love. But for our lesson today, we're just going to focus on two of them. The first is the word agape. And this is used in John 3.16, which says, For God so agaped the world. The other word we're going to look at is phileo, which which is a love that means to like or to be fond of. And so there's a, there's a, a distinct distinction between these two words. And so we've always looked at agape as being this great divine committed love, and phileo being more of a convenient love, it's a friend's love. And so we're going to get back to that in a minute. But so to begin. Let's look at our passage, and in verse 15, Jesus asked Peter, do you love me more than these? So what does these refer to? I mean, is Jesus asking Peter, do you love me more than your occupation? Now, we would kind of snicker at that, but I mean, have you ever known somebody who really loves to fish? Yeah, you know, people, they like that fishing. Or is Jesus saying, do you love me more than than your motorcycle? Do you love me more than your 401k? Do you love me more than your golf game? And so if if this is the avenue that Jesus is traveling on, then Jesus is asking Peter the basic question of Christian discipleship. Peter, are you preoccupied with anything in your life that is more important than I am? Are there idols in your heart That have taken the place of me. And folks, let me tell you, every time that we are faced with a temptation in our life, that's the question that's being raised. Do you love God more than these? You see, it's easy to fall in love with the blessing of God more than we are in love with Him. And sometimes a relationship that God has blessed us with or a job that God has blessed us with or that new car that we want, it can become an idol of our heart. And so God may have to ask us from time to time, do you love me more than these? He wants to know, is our relationship a relationship of convenience Or is it a relationship of commitment? Now, probably, and most scholars agree with this, Jesus was asking Peter, do you love me more than these other disciples? Because, see, everywhere you find Peter in the New Testament, you find this boastful, proud, almost arrogant guy who's very gifted and passionate, but he loves to be out in front. He loves to be leading the parade. I mean, this is the guy that said to Jesus, Hey, Jesus, if your crew bails, and when the dust settles, I want you to know I'm still going to have your back. But after all, Peter is the one who stepped out of the boat. So what are you going to do with him? Peter's passionate, but there's also a part of Peter that's very prideful. And so maybe, perhaps, Jesus is asking, Peter, are you so proud to believe that your devotion and your love for me is greater than all of these other disciples? Peter, do you love me more than all these other guys? And so that's why Jesus asked the question, Peter, do you truly love me? And so now let's get into our text. As I mentioned earlier, we're going to look at the Greek words agape and phileo for the English word love. Now, In this passage, every time Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? Jesus uses the word agape. Peter, do you agape me? But you see, when Peter responds, he says, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. See, Jesus is asking, do you love me with a divine and selfless love? Do you love me with, with, with a committed love? And Peter replies, well, yes, Lord, but you know I love you as a friend would love you. See, it's almost as if there's a lesser level of love. So Jesus asks a second time, Peter, do you love me or do you agape me? And Peter replies, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. So the third time, Jesus reduces the word for love from agape to phileo. And he says, Peter, do you only phileo me? And in verse 17, the Bible says that Peter was grieved. He was hurt because he asked him the third time, but then he's also hurt because he says, Peter, do you only phileo me? So Peter fesses up and he says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I phileo. Now, for this part right here, I'm out on a limb a little bit because there's a wide range of thought among theologians about the meaning of these two Greek words in this passage. See, some think that there's significance to the fact that Jesus said agape and Peter said phileo. There's other theologians that think, well, you know, John wrote this and so he was just interjecting the two uses of the word love and it it didn't make any difference. There was no meaning in which word for love he used. And so whichever case it is, it really doesn't matter because for our time together today, the real question that I want to get to, the real question that Jesus is asking Peter is not, do you love me? But I want to focus on Jesus asking, asking Peter, saying, how do you love me? See, because let's be honest, we'd be hard-pressed to find anyone here in this room who said they didn't love God. And then if we, if we left here and we went out to different places in the city, if we went to the zoo, if we went to Penn Square Mall, and we would ask people, most people would tell you that they love the Lord. And so the question asked of Peter could very well be asked of the American church, including you and me, and it's not, do you love me? But the question is, how do you love me? Is your love for me a love of commitment or is it just a love of convenience? See, here's the thing. Are there things in your life that get a greater degree of affection from you than the Lord does? That's the difference between agape and phileo. Now, there's no doubt that the three questions that Jesus asked Peter are in direct correlation to the three times that Peter had denied the Lord. And there's no doubt that the three questions painfully reminded Peter about those denials. But I would have to think that it's joyful sorrow because before we can ever come back into a right relationship with God, there has to be an awareness of where and how we wronged God. And so Peter is in sorrow. He's broken over his failure. But you see, this is a needed conversation. See, most of us understand that a rebuke is only as strong as a relationship. I mean, if a stranger comes up to you and says you're ugly and your mom addresses you funny, I mean, you really don't care because you don't know them. But I found out the hard way that when I said that to my sister, it really hurt her feelings. How would I have known that? So when Jesus rebukes Peter, the truth hurt, but he's doing so on the basis of a very strong relationship, and Peter responds with genuine repentance. So the question Jesus is really asking when he says, do you agape me, is less a question of, do you have any affection for me at all, and more a question of, is your love a love of convenience, or is your love a love of commitment? So how about us? Have we embraced American Christianity's version of a convenient love? Where we serve God until it's not convenient. Or where we serve God until it's not cool. Or where we serve God until we're hanging with people who don't serve God. So today the question for you and for me, is, is our love one of commitment and dedication, or is it a love of convenience? See, because the Apostle Peter, well, I mean, he had proven he was a little wishy washy in his past. You see, but because God had a plan for him, God needed him to recommit back to a genuine love. Now, I don't know about you today, but when I look at the imperfections in the Apostle Peter's life, it's comforting to see a man that was so weak, so proud, so imperfect, but yet someone that God could use to further his kingdom here on earth. I mean, if God could use Peter, I mean, surely he could use me. Because after all, I mean, we get in our minds that the disciples were saints. They never burped, they never passed gas. They never spit on the sidewalk. I mean, of course, I mean, they accomplished great things for God, but they certainly had their flaws, and it's encouraged that when I really foul up, when I really mess things up, that God's grace is available to me so I can come back into his saving arms. That's good news. Maybe you're here today and you failed God. Just as we've seen a conversation of grace giving the apostle another chance to repent, I want you to know today that God loves you. He loves you with an everlasting love. And he will show you the grace to move from a relationship of convenience to a relationship of commitment. Now, even if there was no intended distinction in this passage between the meaning of phileo and agape, setting that aside, it's obvious that we're being taught two very profound truths in this passage. And the first is this. What the Lord is looking for in his disciples, in your life and in my life, is that our love for him is above everything else. That's easy to say it is. But what do our actions say? Because listen, it doesn't matter. What we know, who we know, how much we've got, or how cute we are. When Jesus is examining our hearts, He is asking us the same question: Do you really love me? Now, in the New Testament, this priority of love just continues to pop up. Galatians chapter five, verse twenty-two says, "But the fruits of the Spirit is love. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, longsuffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law." Now notice the first fruit of the Spirit is love. Well, then you turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse number 13, and the Bible says, Now these things remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. I want to point something out that's interesting to me, and hopefully it'll be interesting to you as well. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, The Apostle Paul talks about the gifts of the Spirit. Well then, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, he talks about how those gifts of the Spirit should be used in the public worship service. But sandwiched between the 12th chapter and the 14th chapter is chapter 13, which talks about love. And it seems out of place. So why would Paul talk about love in between two chapters on the gifts of the Spirit? Well, it's because the Corinthian church was very skilled in supernatural gifts. They had that part together. There were prophecies, there were gifts of tongues, there was interpretations, there were miracles. But it seems that the Corinthians were also known for living lives privately that didn't back up their public display of spiritual gifts. And so Paul is rebuking them. He says, listen, you can have the gift of tongues, you can have the gift of prophecy, but it profits you nothing without love. He said you can even become a martyr for the cause of Christ, but without love you are nothing more than a clanging cymbal. In other words, it doesn't matter how good you sing or how good you preach or how many WWJD bracelets you have on or how many Jesus t-shirts you have in your closet. None of that matters. What matters is how much love do you have in your heart. See, God is more concerned about the purity of your private devotion than he is about the excellence of your public performance. God is more concerned about the purity of your private devotion, what you do when no one is looking, than he is about how excellent you are walking down Main Street. See, the message that Jesus was having with the Apostle Peter and the context of the priority of love in 1 Corinthians 13 is that the real test is the purity that you have when no one is watching So that means the authority behind whatever you have that you're offering to God's kingdom is only as good as the foundation of the private love and purity that's in your heart. And when all of the gifts have ceased, Paul says, these three are going to remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. So Jesus is asking each of us, do you truly love me? You turn to the end of the book in Revelation chapter 2, we find this priority of love again. Here we find the Lord speaking to the church at Ephesus. I mean, these guys had it together. They were moral, they were giving, everything seemed great. But yet in verse 4, Jesus says, Nevertheless, I have this against you that you have left your first love. Jesus is saying your passion is gone. The passion you had for prayer, the passion you had for worship, the passion you had for my presence is gone, and you have become preoccupied with other things. And in the same way, I believe today God is calling us to evaluate our lives. And so I think what we're faced with today is, has there been any point in our past when we were more intimate with God than we are today? Has there ever been a time when your worship was more alive than a few minutes ago when we were having worship? Ever a time when God's Word was more real? When your prayer life was more fervent than it is today? I'm just waiting a minute to see if it can get any more quiet in here. Oh, boy, I'm glad for that ding. That really kind of lifted the tension, didn't it? Listen, love is a priority. And God is saying, hey, you can do everything right. You can part your hair on the right side. You can wear the clothes that match. You can do anything. But whatever you do, you've got to renew your first love. You've got to keep your love for me fervent and red hot. And I want you to know it has to be more than just words. Anyone can say, I love you, Lord. But remember what Peter said, but Lord, you know all things. And so you can say, I love you, Lord, all you want. But eventually those words become empty if they're not demonstrated with action. And that's the second truth of this passage. You see, because even if the words phileo and agape were not intentional, Jesus is asking Peter, do you really love me? And if you really love me, it's going to be shown more than in just your words. There's going to be action because every time Peter was asked, do you love me? Jesus followed it with, feed my sheep. So what Jesus is saying is that genuine love is fleshed out with genuine action. Like my dad used to say, hey man, talk's cheap. Perhaps, I don't know, but uh, I didn't take the time to Google it. Because Google knows everything, right? But perhaps the longest love letter that was ever written was composed by a Frenchman. And he wrote the words, I love you, in French, 1,875,000 times. In one letter. Now I can't speak for you, but that seems like a tremendous waste of paper and ink but that's just me and while these kinds of pronouncements are undoubtedly attract undoubtedly attractive how they're romantic can i be honest with you you know most of the time starla just wants me to take the trash out she wants me to put the toilet seat down she wants me to pick up my dirty clothes those things that give validity to our words are our deeds. And here's something that's really going to put some of, you, some of you in a twist. Because the way that we prove Jesus is by how we treat the people around us. Oh, man, you thought I was stepping on your toes before. Peter, do you love me? Yes. Well, feed my lambs. See, somehow the way God made this whole thing to work is that God loves us, and then we love other people. And that's how that the love can return, be returned back to God. And this is not a new concept. Matthew chapter 22, verse 36. Teacher, which command in the law is the greatest? Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself, because all the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. Jesus is saying everything in this Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, hangs on this. Do you love God and do you love the person sitting next to you? And that's why the love chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, is nestled between chapter 12 and chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians. Because it doesn't matter how good you are in spiritual gifts. It doesn't matter how holy you are. If there's no love in your heart, your talents don't measure up with God. I was talking to my banker a couple weeks ago. And obviously, he was wanting some money from me. Isn't that funny? You know, I, I, thought you, I thought you were supposed to get money from banks, but you know, banks are wanting money from you. What's that old saying? You know, a bank will loan you money if you don't need it. Anyway, I, I started my banker. And so he asked me if I knew so and so, who's a well known pastor here in Oklahoma City. And I do, I know the guy. I know him pretty well, matter of fact. Well, my banker used to be a barista at Starbucks. When he was working with Wayne School. And he said this pastor was the biggest jerk when he was ordering his Vinte Caramel Macchiato. The only thing that my banker remembers about this guy, not how big a church he pastors, but all he can remember was how rude he was to the people who waited on him. It doesn't matter how good you are in the pulpit. If you can't love others the way Jesus does, your testimony really doesn't count for much. That's what the book says. When are we going to start living our lives by what the book says and not what we dissect out of the book to want to live our lives by? And you know, I have to tell you, friend, this is not just a preaching point. This is real life. Two months ago, Starla sent me to the grocery store to pick up a few things. Now I can tell you one thing, I do not hang out at the grocery store. My idea of hell is going to Walmart. (laughs) Send me to the dentist instead of making me go to Walmart. So, you know, something happened, so I needed to go, and, and so I don't know anything about the grocery store. I don't know the layout. But Starla did tell me that there is an express lane. I found the express lane. There was a sign in bold print, eight items or less. Well, I've got four items. I am gold. I'm going to be in and out, and this is going to be painless. No root canal for me, baby. Well, just as I'm rolling up to the express lane, a lady cuts in front of me. And that was bad, but the bad thing is her basket was full. Now, I didn't have my collar on that day. And so, you know, you know, I, I'm human, I'm in a hurry, but I want to get on the loudspeaker and bless her with the eight items or less announcement. Attention express lane, eight items or less. Get your fanny out of the line. <laughs> and I was just as mad at the cashier who let her stay. Boot the broad out. Why do we have laws in this country? I mean, I'm getting mad just thinking about it all over again. I'm not going back to that store. Listen to me. Do you realize that what I do at that moment... This is more about the depth of my spiritual foundation than how well I delivered this sermon this morning. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, are you serious? <laughs> Seriously, are you? Party a little bit too much last night? A little bit too late on the... Watching the game, maybe. Man, I tell you, hey, you can always depend on this congregation, right? You can all, you know, whether it's Benny, you know, you know, you know, you can always depend on this group to come through for you. Hey, listen, man, it's okay, because I would yawn if I could right now. I mean, so we're cool. As Christians, the way we act in the seemingly insignificant moments, when a few people are watching or when no one is watching, says a lot more about our faith than what we do when everyone is watching. Agape love is loving God and loving other people. See, this was a second chance. Our text was a conversation of grace. Jesus Jesus had predicted that Peter was going to deny him, right? But yet you think about in the beginning, Peter left everything to follow Jesus. His first love was red hot. But this passionate man was also a proud man. And he was this disciple who was always sticking his foot in his mouth. And when it really counted, when it really came down to it, when Jesus really needed him, his relationship turned from a relationship of commitment into a relationship of convenience. And he said... No, I don't know the guy. I've never seen him before in my life. Jesus who? But you see, our text is the moment after he had denied Jesus three times when the Lord comes back to him and says, if you truly love me, follow me. So you need to understand, this is the third time Jesus had appeared to the the disciples after his resurrection. So he's given Peter the opportunity to recommit his life and to reexamine his heart. This is the moment of another chance. But we also see how much it's going to cost. Because Jesus says in verse 18, Peter, when you were young, you dressed yourself and you went wherever you wanted to go. But when you're older, you're going to be led around by other people and they will lead you to places where you don't want to go. Peter is saying, Jesus, you were a, a... Jesus saying, Peter, you were a self-driven, self-willed man in your youth, but if you really love me, you are going to trust me, and you are going to commit to me, and you are going to submit to me. And now this commitment is going to lead you to places that you don't want to go in your self-will and in your pride. And we see in verse 19 what Jesus was talking about, because Jesus was speaking of the way that Peter was going to die. But yet how him dying, it would glorify the Lord. So Peter knows what's going on. Peter knows that Jesus is telling him he's going to die. And just like I can always count on this congregation to you know, punch me in the gut once or twice during the message, we can always count on Peter, can't we? So what does he do? Verse 21, he looks over at John and says, Jesus, what about him? Can you believe it? Jesus is having a one-on-one conversation with saying, with Peter, saying, Peter, if you really love me, it's going to cost you your life, but it's okay because in you giving up your life, it's going to glorify me. And the first thing that Peter does is he turns around and says, What about John? Man, don't you love this guy? He gives us hope. Now, this is is called comparisonitis. It's certainly a disease in our society. Sadly, it's a disease among Christians, and it's it's actually a disease among churches. You see, because it's driven by pride. But here's what you have to understand, folks. There's always someone out there that you're going to be better off than, and there's always someone out there that's going to be worse off. And so the lesson is, be content with what God has given you. But I love verse 22. Jesus said to Peter, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You just follow me. Jesus said, Peter, what I do with John is between John and me. It's none of your business. But if you truly love me, you will submit to me, and my will will be higher than your will, and in humility you will die to your pride. And if I let John live and prosper, you are going to be okay with that, even if I call you to be a martyr, because you have a love of commitment for me and not of convenience. See, pride compares, but love trusts. And if we can be honest, we can bring it home to our house. When your world is falling apart, but your brother-in-law is doing fantastic. When someone who's not trying as hard to please God as you, but yet they're killing it. And everything is going wrong in your life while everything is going right in theirs. It's the same thing. Even though we may not say it, we are thinking, what about John? It's a natural response. But you see, Jesus is telling you and me, it's none of your business what I do with John. Because if you really love me, you're going to submit to the path that I have set before you. Because if you love me, you're going to trust the plan that I have for you. I love the way God transformed the Apostle Peter's life. Peter is this imperfect, wishy-washy, passionate man. He's being rebuked. He's being called to a place of maturity. And even at the latter part of the conversation, he's still demonstrating his prideful self. But yet Jesus still uses him. That's what's so great about it. This is the man who, after the Holy Spirit came on the church, stood up and preached, and 3,000 people came to Christ. And this is the same man who had just denied Jesus a few weeks earlier. But you see, now in our text, Peter is a new man transformed by the power of God. And Peter's love has grown from a love of convenience to a love of commitment. Peter grew up. And we see more of his maturity in his letter that he wrote in 1 Peter chapter 5 begins at verse 2. Peter said, shepherd the flock of God which is among you. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Peter, if you love me, feed my sheep. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not as lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. You see, Peter is still a man who has some authority, but now he exercises that authority in a more controlled humility. And Peter has surrounded his will. He's no longer the proud man because he loves God more than all of these. Now he's a fellow elder who walks in meekness. And true to the Word of God, historians tell us that the apostle Peter who had denied Christ out of fear eventually gave his life as a martyr for the man he denied. Peter was crucified because he would not renounce his faith in Jesus. And so at the end of his life, Peter truly agaped the Lord. Bow your heads with me if you would. Do you love God? Now I think everyone in this room with some affirmation would say, yes, I love God. And so the question is not, do you love him? The question is, how do you love him? If your love, is your love for him a love of commitment or is it a love of convenience? See, when I truly have a love of commitment for God, it seems to do a lot from our relationships with other people. Because we realize that we show love for God by loving his sheep. John thirteen thirty five says, By this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And you see, the depth and maturity of your relationship with the Lord is going to be reflected by how you treat the waitress or the waiter you see today at lunch. Your relationship is going to be, is, is going to be reflected by the lady that pulls in front of you in the express lane, or by the man that pulls in you and pulls in front of you in the passing lane. Your relationship with the Lord is even going to be reflected by the temper you have in your marriage. It's easy to push those things to the side and say, oh, well, you know, there's some things in my life that that aren't really going well, but me and Jesus, we're doing great. Back up now, because Jesus said, do you love me? And if you do, you are going to take care of others. I pray that you use this message as a time of self-evaluation and self-examination.